As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. We highlight keen investment insights and strategies so you can become a real estate mogul. Here's your host, Yannick Kujo Virgin. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Yannick Kujo Virgil, and I'm very, very excited for our guest today. Today, we have a guest that knows how to take massive action and has quickly moved from three units to partnering in almost over 6,000 plus units worth over $1 billion. And so today we have Tim Lyons. Now, Tim is the co-founder and managing partner of Cityside Capital. Tim's initial goal was to get into real estate for passive income and in turn, be able to spend more time with his family and his three little girls. And after partnering on multifamily properties, he saw firsthand the power of real estate as an opportunity to create passive income and build wealth for him and his family. He started Citywide Capital with the goal of not only growing his own portfolio, but also to help others realize the power that real estate investing can have on creating passive income and building wealth. Now, today, Cityside Capital has partnered in over $1.4 billion of commercial real estate assets, including more than 6,000 multifamily units. And Tim has also invested as a limited partner in several multifamily self-storage industrial and land opportunities across the United States. Tim, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yannick, thanks. Thanks for having me, man. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. So before we jump in, give our listeners some insight on who you are and how you get to where you are today. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I mean, I grew up uh, just outside of New York City and in a very modest household. My parents were divorced when I was three, youngest of three boys, you know, the whole paycheck to paycheck, money doesn't grow on trees, and then really just followed that traditional path of getting good grades, going and go to school, buying a house, getting married, stuff money into your 457 or 401k, whatever you have, you know, and really just came from like a scarcity mindset with like, you know, with money. And, you know, it wasn't until, you know, so I don't know if you if you knew this as well, but I'm a New York City firefighter. So I'm a lieutenant in the New York City Fire Department. That's what I do for my full-time job. Cityside Capital is like a second full-time job. But before I had the real estate company, I was also a registered nurse in a, in a level one trauma center in the ER. And I just got crushed in that W-2 grind. You know, I was working 80, 90, 100-hour weeks 
because I have a good work ethic and I liked what I did and it was fulfilling. But in that time, I got married. I had three little girls at home and they were missing me and I was missing them. And the tears started. Daddy, you just got home from the firehouse and then you left again for the hospital and I never see you and blah, 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 blah. Right. And I could see that it was tough on everybody. So, you know, I've always been a fan of personal finance, been reading the Wall Street Journal every day since college, you know, read all, you know, not all the books, read some of the books, you know, but I never thought I had money or enough money to to do anything with it, right? And I always was fascinated by stories of real estate investors. How did they get started? You know, especially when they came from nothing, like how did they take that first deal and turn it into something? So I actually, um, when it got the W-2 grind got to be too much. I started my self-education journey. And it all started with Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, which was a book that I had in my firehouse overnight bag for over a year and just never cracked it open until the summer of 19. I'm sitting on the beach, Outer Banks, North Carolina with my family, my brothers, my dad, and I couldn't put the book down. It was like almost embarrassing. I literally just like couldn't stop reading this book. And uh, that was it. That was a total mindset shift and the paradigm had changed. And um, yeah, that was the beginning of my journey. That's awesome. Fast forward to where you are today, taking three units to over 6,000 is, uh, you know, quite impressive. And it's a lot of work, right? It's, (laughs) you know, uh, multifamily investing and putting deals together and just executing a business plan is a ton of work. You know, walk us through that path, you know, from a macro level of how you were able to turn three units into 6,000 plus today. Sometimes when I hear that, uh, Yannick, it sounds like you're talking about somebody else because I'm just a regular Joe, right? So yeah, so I I got into real estate. I bought a three family because I was scared to buy a single family home. And I did it with a friend of mine because I was scared to do it by myself. So we ended up doing that. And I'm not a very handy guy and neither was Craig, my partner. So it was interesting. We'll put it that way, you know, but we, we made it happen. We cash flowed. We did better on the taxes. We had a proof of concept, but that th- first three family was built in 1920. It was a CapEx tsunami waiting to happen. And I just knew that I had to do something different. So that's when I educated myself on multifamily and commercial real estate. You know, at first it sounded really complicated, you know, net operating income, spreadsheets, P&Ls, rent rolls, above the line, below the line, cap rates, you know, and I was like, man, what are these guys talking about, Right. But I ended up having a mentor who kind of showed me the ropes. And when he had a deal, now this is 2020, right? This is like March of 2020. I really started uh, on the commercial side. And, you know, it was COVID, right? Everybody's scared. No, no, everyone's locked up. We were hashtag flatten the curve for two weeks, right? And um, my mentor had gotten a, a 43 unit under contract in Pennsylvania. And he gave me the opportunity of a lifetime to get started. He let me kind of, you know, see how due diligence was done, the underwriting, the debt financing, putting all the players and all the pieces where they need to be. And at the end of that project, he asked me if I wanted to give capital raising a try for that opportunity. It was a $5.7 million deal. Uh, We were raising just about $3 million. And I said, Chris, I'm like, I don't think I can raise five or $500. I I have no idea. Maybe I can do 500 or 5 million. I have no idea. I said, but whatever you do, don't count on me because I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work. And, um, you know, with no website, with no automations, no special software, nothing, I had a Gmail account and I raised $150,000. And to me, that was amazing. It was simply like 
connecting people with capital to a deal that I was doing and I believed in and I understood. And I said to myself, you know, that's, that's probably a business opportunity here because a lot of the folks who I asked, you know, to hop on the webinar and to uh, evaluate this deal, they were friends, they were family, college roommates, you know, other firefighters, doctors, nurses, PAs, all the people in my little circle. And they were like, Tim, look, you love what you're doing, but this is your first deal. So like, let me know how the first one goes. And then we'll talk about maybe the second or the third one. And when I got that feedback, it was clear to me that people either didn't understand what the offering was, how it worked, how it could, you know, uh, support them and their financial goals. And that really was like, wow, this is, this could be a niche for me to provide education, to, you know, create content, to build a business around. Because at the end of the day, the reason I got into real estate was because I knew I couldn't save my way to wealth. I wasn't going to be able to save my 457, my 403B. You know, could I do that? Yeah. You know, but that's the accumulation model, right? And then like, you know, you accumulate, accumulate, you know, cut corners, clip coupons, skip your, you know, your latte at Starbucks and like, you know, this really like frugal lifestyle. And then when you're 65, you can peel off 4% of your nest egg and hope that you can outlast, you know, your money can outlast your life. Like, so when I realized that I couldn't save my way to wealth, that I needed equity, it was either starting a business or you know, doing real estate. And by doing real estate first, I was able to create a business that supported my, my goals, you know, within real estate by raising capital. Wow. That's a phenomenal story. I mean, just having the confidence to essentially come off the bench and raise 150,000 is, (laughs) is, uh, not an easy, uh, you know, path, but fortunately you were able to do it. I think a lot of people starting off or just getting their start in this, world of commercial real estate and and, and syndications and raising capital really need to lean into that because a lot of times, you know, that 150,000 can turn into 15 million just because now you have the confidence, right? And capital raising, part of it is education. Part of it is knowing what you're talking about, making sure that you're vetting and doing the right deal. But a lot of it is just confidence, right? And people do business with people who they know, like, and trust, right? We hear it all the time. And a mm-hmm. lot of times, you know, your family members, they may not know everything about the deal, but they trust you, right? And people feed off of others' confidence. Dude, 100%. I could not agree more. And, you know, so, you know, this was, and don't forget, this my, that first deal closed August of 2020, right? So the stock market in the preceding six months had gone down by 35%. We were locked up in our homes. We didn't know what COVID was. There was no vaccine yet, right? There was all sorts of talk about, you know, um, the cancel rent movement and, you know, uh, people not being able to pay their bills. And, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty there. And I said to myself, if I can do it during this period, you know, a, a black swan event the country is living through, then what can I do during the good times? What can I do when there's not this, you know, albatross hanging around our neck? you know, with COVID. Um, so that gave me an incredible amount of confidence and the law of the first deal kicked in. Right. And now I had, well, I, you know, I had to borrow credibility from my mentor, Chris, to do the first deal, right? No systems, no processes, no LLCs, no website, you know, literally a Gmail account and some Google sheets got the job done. And, you know, so now I went to my second deal, which was 144 units in Greenville, South Carolina. And I was able to raise over half a million dollars. And I'm like, wow, you know, and by this time, my brother Greg had joined me to create Cityside Capital. 
he's down in Virginia and uh, he actually played basketball. Him and his wife both played basketball at UVA and now they now they live in Charlottesville, Virginia. We build this business, right? We don't even know what we're doing, you know, as far as on the business end, but what we do know is the fundamentals of real estate. What we do know is if you follow the data uh, for population growth, job growth, you know, what's the loss to lease, what's the median income, you know, how many units are being absorbed in the 135 mile radius, you know, all these different data points, when you when you can put them together and tell a story about a property and an opportunity, that's what the magic is, right? That's where you can get people to you know learn what you're doing and to and to believe in that you know asset class. So yeah, we did that. We did our second deal. Third deal was 148 units, 2016 built in Sarasota, Florida, uh, and we still have that property today. And it was clear to me now. We also did about half a million dollars, a little bit more than that, in the third deal. And now we said, you know what? We really are good at raising capital. What we didn't love was the asset management or the acquisition or property management, right? And I wasn't ready to pick up my family and move to one of these sexy locations like Dallas or Phoenix or Tampa or Sarasota because I still work as a firefighter and I love working as a firefighter, right? So I just wasn't ready to do that yet. And neither was Greg. Uh, So we said, you know, we can raise capital. But, you know, as you find out very quickly, when you start raising capital, there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. And that wrong way to do it is securities fraud. And you can go to jail for a very long time. And I wasn't interested in that. I didn't want to have my door kicked in at 3 a.m. I didn't want to do any of that stuff. I, I was totally out. So we got connected with a broker dealer that was focused solely on commercial assets, but specifically multifamily self-storage and now we do industrial triple net lease stuff. And it was like, like perfect timing. It was just like a serendipitous moment that we got connected with th- uh, this group. And so we got our securities licenses and we started, you know, a private equity firm, you know, Cityside Capital. And, you know, we were able to work with best in class operators that have been fully vetted uh, by our broker dealer, which includes site visits, property reports third-party due diligence firms doing uh, reporting. Uh, we have an in-house underwriter. We have a chief compliance officer uh, you know, on staff. Um, so it was all the things that we were looking for as far as safety, as far as good deal flow, working with best-in-class operators, and you know, staying in the lane that Greg and I were about to excel in, which was capital raising. That's fantastic. I want to right click into that, you know, the broker dealer side of the business. But before we move into that, for someone who is looking to expand their capital raising, you know, side of their business, we're living in a time where interest rates are going up. It seems like every day and there might be some, uh, you know, hesitation from some investors to deploy capital. You know, what do you say to newer investors who are you know, starting out in today's environment, because you've went through, you know, the COVID situation, right? That's when you essentially, you know, got your start into this world, you know, for someone who is jumping into the game or is looking to, you know, excel in their capital raising side of the business. What do you say to that investor, given that we're in a time where rates are going up, we don't know where the economy is heading, but there's always going to be good deals out there if you're able to find it. What do you say to that person? Uh, yeah, I'm going to stack on top of what you just said, that there's always good deals, right? And I wasn't a believer in that, right? I was a believer in the fear and the uncertainty and, you know, squirreling my money away, you know, and 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 looking for the, the better times. You know, now that I've been doing this for a few years, it's clear to me that when 
we're at the near the top of a market or we're in, you know, in, in a market that's up and to the right, you know, people are more than happy to throw into deals, right? Because everybody's doing it. Everybody's making money. This is great, right? Nobody really at that time says, well, um, I'm going to wait for everything to shake out and I'm going to buy at the bottom because that's, that's what I'm going to do, right? Because no one knows when the top is. No one knows when the bottom is. Right now, we are, you know, we're recording this in mid-May and of 23, and there's a lot of uncertainty. Interest rates have just gone up for like, I don't know, 12 months in a row, uh, 12 meetings in a row. We're at 525 on the federal funds rate. We have banks failing. We've had three or four banks go down. We have banking stress. We have liquidity stresses. We have interest rate risk. We have geopolitical risk. And now, you know, there's a, a lot of talk about commercial real estate, you know, being in trouble, right? Because people who bought with bridge debt or variable rate debt who have to roll that paper over now are in trouble because they were at a 3% uh, percent, uh, or 4%, you know, uh, rate. And now they're, if they don't have a cap, they're paying 8 9 10%. And that's destroying and torpedoing their cash flow. And now they need to either sell the property to salvage their business and salvage uh, investor equity. Or they need to refinance and their net operating income maybe hasn't supported the, the new valuation. So people are stuck right now. Well, to me, that's good opportunity, right? There's great opportunity out there if you are good at due diligence, if you're good with the numbers, if you just follow the math and you're buying in a, in a market or a submarket that has that population growth, the job growth, the resiliency, you know, the market dynamics are such that if you can pick up that deal for 15 to 20%, you know, uh, off what it maybe would have gotten last year or two years ago, that's opportunity, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, our thesis at Cityside Capital is people need food, clothing, and a place to live, you know, or food, clothing, and apartments, as we like to say. And, um, it's not so much that you want to take advantage of the renters, but of the opportunity when you're getting, you know, when you're buying real estate, you're buying at a, at a cost basis, right? And that's forever. Uh, you can always date the rate, right, with the interest rates and stuff like that, and always, you know, implement a strong business plan and, you know, refinance at a later time or sell, whatever. So I really think there's a lot of stresses right now, but I think there's a lot of opportunity on the flip side. Yeah, man, I, I love that. I love that. Date the rate. <laughs> I really, really love that because that's you can use it. That's yours now. Yeah, it's 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 just the fundamentals, right? I think people get you know really caught up in you know the market and what's going on, but um, you know when you you make your money in the buy, right? If you're in the market where you can get properties at a discount, fifteen to twenty percent, it just makes sense. You know, if it, if if the math maths, then you do the deal. So I think you know in, in today's environment, you know you one hundred percent hit it on the head. There's always going to be opportunities, and you know it's up to you as an investor to capitalize and and show people that you're the person that they should be uh, investing with. Hey, listen up! If you're an employee, business owner, or professional athlete with money in the bank earning zero percent return, and you're thinking about passively investing in real estate. Well, you need to check out our ultimate syndication guide for passive investors. This free guide absolutely covers everything you need to know about passively investing in real estate syndication or just real estate in general. If you want access to this valuable resource, go to MerlinAcquisitions.com slash passive guide to download the free syndication guide for passive investors. That's M-E-R-L-Y-N-N acquisitions.com slash passive guide or head over to the show notes and click the link to download. Now let's get back to the show. So I want to move into the broker dealer side of things. So 
is that, and I'm speaking from a perspective, I'm not, you know, um, familiar with the broker dealer, you know, laws or, so this is by no means, you know, out of, in my expertise, but from a broker dealer perspective, does that license essentially help you raise capital for your own deals? Maybe explain that a little bit deeper for our audience who, you know, may not know anything about broker dealers, but I've obviously heard that as it's, you know, a common term that's being thrown around in this business. Cool. So to break it down really simply, your broker dealer, if you picture Fidelity, Goldman Sachs, Cantor Fitzgerald, uh, JP Morgan Chase, right? In some respects, in some level of their business, they're broker dealers, right? And that gives you the ability to buy and sell securities. So those groups that I just mentioned, as an example, they'll do, they'll sell, buy and sell stocks, bonds, ETFs, treasuries, notes, you know, you name it. Those are the types of instruments that they deal with. From my perspective, my broker dealer is buying and selling commercial real estate interests, right? So what we do is we pair retail investors, so like everyday investors who want to have exposure to what's called the direct participation program, a DPP. They want to have direct participation in a, say, multifamily complex in, in Houston or Dallas or Phoenix or Tampa or whatever. But they don't want to have the headache of, you know, what we call the three T's, termites, toilets, and tenants, right? They want the tax benefits. They want the cash flow. They want the potential appreciation. That's what they're looking for. That's what we deal with, right? So we offer these investment offerings using what's called Regulation D. It's an exempt security, right? Like there's no formal securities process. It's a a Reg D exemption, and we do it under 506B as in boy or 506C as in Charlie. The difference between those two, the 506B offering and the 506C offering, is that the 506B, you can have an unlimited amount of accredited investors come into the deal, but only a maximum of 35 what's called non-accredited but sophisticated investors. And you can't market those deals. You can't put them on social. You can't do radio or TV ads or anything like that. The 506C offerings are just for accredited investors. There's a hurdle to kind of show that you are an accredited investor, usually satisfied by a letter from an attorney, a CPA, a financial advisor, or some licensed professional like that. And you you can do your marketing, right? Because you're only offering this to accredited investors, you can do social media, TV, radio, or what have you. So that's where we really, that's how we play, right? So we use the Reg D exemption and we do 506 B and C deals. And, you know, the opportunity for us is being on the broker dealer side, we have the relationships with the equity, right? With either retail investors, everyday investors, 1031 exchange investors, investors that are using their uh, self-directed IRA or solo 401ks, uh, but also institutional investors like pension funds, life insurance companies, private equity groups, stuff like that. So, you know, the operators that we work with, they can all raise millions of dollars by themselves, right? But when you have velocity of deals and you're doing, you know, one deal a month or one deal a quarter or, you know, maybe even more at some point, they tend to either exhaust their investor base, right, because of the deal flow, or these deals are just, you know, that much more expensive than they were maybe 10 years ago. So you need more equity to close the deal. And a lot of these groups, even though they can raise millions of dollars by themselves, their their strong point is really in the acquisition, the asset management, the property management, and the disposition of the properties. Not everybody loves investor relations like I do, right? So 
our value to operators is, hey, look, we will put you through a, a due diligence process. We'll vet you. We'll do criminal background checks. Uh, we'll fly to your properties. We'll take a look at your uh, pro formers versus your actuals. We'll do your old underwriting compared to your now underwriting. You know, vet your track record. We're going to have our third party due diligence firm go through and make sure you actually own the properties you said you owned. Because look, at the end of the day, when you're investing in a non Wall Street type of thing, people get very scared sometimes, right? Uh, so we're trying to take that away and say, look, we're doing the due diligence on the front end, not only on the operators, but on, e- on each individual deal. And then our value to the operators is that we can bring millions of dollars to their deals to supplement their equity raise. Um, so I would imagine that there is a minimum for this type of transaction, right? Can you dive into that? Like, what what does the minimum typically look like? I'm, I'm sure that you know the a broker dealer isn't really going to look at you know uh, a million dollar deal, right? We're probably talking tens of millions of dollars is kind of like the minimum threshold for you know a broker dealer type of transaction. Two things: when we accept somebody, an operator, so we work with nine different operators, but when we uh, you know accept them into their uh, our platform. They usually have a track record of previous deals, full cycle deals. Uh, so we have a pretty good idea about what types of you know apartment communities or self storage facilities that they're you know looking to buy. So you're right; like they usually have been on the you know multiple single millions or you know tens of millions of dollars. But that's not to say that we haven't raised for one of these operators' funds, and they might pick off a 22 unit somewhere in addition to the 250 unit because it was a great buy and a great deal for that fund, and that might be a 1.2 or a 1.8 million dollar deal. But generally speaking, yes, it's a, a higher priced, you know, two, three, four hundred unit community that we're looking at at some of the bigger markets in the country. So, uh, yeah, the prices are, are a lot higher. On the on the other side, on the investment side, the minimums are fifty thousand dollars, for the most part. Uh, we do have one operator that has a twenty five thousand dollar minimum. Uh, we have another operator that has a hundred thousand dollar minimum on the investment side. Makes sense. So, as someone that is you know growing and and trying to grow you know their own real estate business, at what point does it make sense to look at some of those like a broker dealer opportunity for someone who is maybe struggling on their capital raising side, you know, trying to do larger and larger deals. At what point does it make sense for someone to start taking a look at those opportunities to help scale their capital raising, but then also open their their network to other operators as well? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it's probably hard for a newer operator to attract a broker dealer because we put so much effort into the track record the vetting of the the operator because i mean look at this point where we are today some of the more inexperienced operators are the ones that are getting in trouble right they bought variable rate debt with no rate caps or you know they haven't been able to execute business plans because they bit off more than they can chew and they don't have the infrastructure in place to to really kind of you know scale up as quickly as they maybe should have or thought they would have by this point that's why we really kind of really want to focus on those that have kind of gotten just the next rung that they do have some experience they do you know they have some lumps right taking some lumps but they have that experience for the brand new person who's trying to raise capital i would say that you know look if you are an operator and you're having a hard time with capital raising it's really about the story it's about the journey it's about the property, right? It's not about the deal. It's not about the metrics. It's not about the equity multiple or the cash on cash returns. 
those are all supplementary items that'll be a part of the story. But people want to know, what is it that you do? Why do you do it? Why do you think it's a good idea? What are the, what's the thesis? What's the story behind the, this particular property? And then, you know, WIIFM, what's in it for me, right? And when you, st- even, you know, the whole process starts before you even have a deal, right? Like with newsletters and content and social media and podcasts and, you know, networking events and conferences, really telling people what you're doing, what's in your buy box. You know, if, if we ever found something, is this something that you would be interested in? Because the last thing people want to do is, you know, rely on if you have the deal, the money will follow, I think is one of the biggest falsehoods in, in real estate. To me, it's not true, right? So it's really starting with your network. It's really kind of laying, you know, laying that groundwork. So when something does come up, then there's an ask, but there's a story to tell behind it. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, capital raising is just a contact sport, right? It's about having many touch points, keeping people informed with what you're doing, being visible, picking up the phone call, checking in with folks, staying top of mind. And a lot of times you see people struggle when they try to be, you know, uh, both the person that's acquiring and doing the operations, but then also the, the person that's doing the the capital raising, because they're just, you can get really, really deep, really fast, depending on how large that you want to go. And so, you know, for any of our listeners out there that, that is just trying to figure out, you know, what, you know, side they should, you know, start in, you know, definitely pick one side and focus on that <laughs> because, uh, you can really find yourself being lost in this entire process of growing a firm or just scaling up your portfolio if you're just one person focused on a bunch of different things within your business unit. And I just want to stack on top, like, you know, there's a different conversation when you're an operator and you have a deal and you need money today, right? And you're talking to people versus the cadence and the inflection in your voice when you're just talking with them as a networking opportunity and you know, building that relationship and the investor is smart enough to realize which end of the spectrum you're on. Like I need money today or I need money maybe in six months, a year from now, because I I will have an opportunity that will support you and, and, and your goals. Right. One of the best books I read was, you know, the story brand by Donald Miller. And he talks about how the, your customer or your investor, they're the hero in all of this and you're just helping them on their journey right so instead of vomiting up statistics about the deal on people you know because you need you know to close out a capital raise you know it's it's taking the other approach right they're the hero they're on a journey and you want to support them you want to support them with newsletters you want to support them with content with touch points with dinners coffees you know giving talks adding as much value as you can on the front end. So when the time comes that you do have the deal, they are prepared, they understand, they are you know engaged, and now they might be ready to say yes. Yeah, 100% agree, 100% agree. So Tim, if our listeners want to follow you, you know, follow your journey, invest with you and your company, what's the best way for our listeners to, to follow you? Yeah, I'm on uh, all the socials. Uh, just you know, look at Tim Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S. Uh, my website is citysidecap.com. We also have a podcast called the Passive Income Brothers Podcast. Check us out. It's me and my brother, Greg. Yeah, I mean, those are the best ways. And uh, if somebody's really interested, uh, my cell phone number is 516-521-7762. And uh, I apologize if my four-year-old picks it up before I do. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that's the best way to get me. So, Tim, we had a wonderful conversation today. We talked about capital raising. I mean, your journey from starting with three units to over 6,000, 
you know, educating our listeners today on on the broker dealer side of the business and all of the things that I think anyone that's trying to uh, progress in their business or get started really needs to hear. So thank you again for being on our show. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Let's take action. Be great today. And remember that real estate is a marathon, not a sprint. So run your own race. Thanks again, Tim. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.